Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today our guest is both founder and faculty, the visionary and voice behind one of the most innovative and successful online platforms in education called Khan Academy. If you're one of the over 87 million people who have watched one of his videos, you will likely recognize his voice. Welcome to the EdCast, the founder of Khan Academy, Sal Khan. Thanks for having me. Sal, let's start with the process to determine a new video and its subject matter. Do you decide through letters of request? Is it relevance? Is it need? Are you just deciding this yourself, or is there a committee? Yeah, there definitely is not a committee. It's, it's not. No, no, there's no set uh, process or algorithm for this. It's, it's a combination of... Uh, where, where there does seem to be need, and that need, it, it could be very common sense that, hey, everyone's taking calculus or everyone's taking algebra or everyone's taking AP physics. So, so that would be need, plus all of the letters and, and notes that I get from people. Uh, kind of an intersection of that and, and where um, I guess my, 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 my interest and current competencies lie as well. Uh, so if there's a huge demand for something where I'm like, hey, you know what, I, I already know that and I could already start teaching that, um, I, I'll usually do it, and that's why that's where you see a lot of where the, the first videos are. But if there's a huge demand for something where I'm like, you know what, I'm, I, I need to I need to really ramp up on that. I'll, I'll actually immerse myself in that field for for several weeks or several months uh, until I feel like I am as uh, kind of well versed in that as I as I am in, in some of the, the fields where I have kind of a, a more formal background, and, and then I'll make them. Uh, so so it really is, it is a combination. And then one one rule I tell myself and this is to kind of maintain a certain energy level and interest level in the videos, is that I won't make a video about anything unless I'm genuinely fascinated about the video, unless I've genuinely gotten an aha moment out of that subject. Many people go to you and your website for answers, and I'm curious, Sal, when you're getting ready for a lesson and may not know as much about it as you'd like and you begin the immersion process, where do you go for research? Does it start with a simple Google or Wikipedia search? Old textbooks? Is it YouTube videos? Do you call up former professors? How do you become immersed in a new subject? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of all of above, all of the above what you just described, and it's not as uh, gentle of a process as, you know, it's, it's, it, it would have been nice if someone made some nice 10-minute videos on it that kind of explain. And, you know, there are videos out there, but they don't often explain the, the connections. They don't often explain the conceptual development or why something makes sense. And so I try to do all of the above until I can draw some of those connections. So it, it, it's, you know, Wikipedia for, for a first pass, but sometimes you can actually look at the, the primary sources that Wikipedia uses. You look at those, see if those give you any more depth. Um, it, you know, I, I actually love the Google Book Project because I'm all, all the time, I, I, I do look in kind of the current popular textbooks on a certain topic to see what they have to say about it. But they always say almost the same thing, and oftentimes they glaze over some detail or some conceptual understanding. And, and with things like the Google Book Project, you're able to find sometimes that, that little insight from an old Russian uh, math book that was written in the 1800s. Or, you know, they're not the easiest things to read, but... Uh, it, 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 yeah, so I, I really just try to find it wherever I can. Usually 95% of the things I can find fairly painlessly. 5% uh, <coughs> of the things do require a little digging around or, or really, frankly, just pondering the subject um, of, of really, you know, why, why does that make sense? And then what I often find myself doing is if none of those things succeed, I'll go and contact somebody or something. But those 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 tend to take a little bit longer, and and uh, so I, I try to I try to use the textbooks and the internet first. Sal, you're described as having a concise, practical, and relaxed teaching method. Where did you come up with this style, and who or what is at the root of your pedagogy? I, I think um, 
I, I don't know if, if you know I, maybe someone did in my past and I don't remember it. You know, no one no one ever said Sal sit down and teach like this. I, I think I've just tried to do what I what I would find appealing. Um, I try to talk in a voice that wouldn't annoy me if I was the student. Um, I try to uh, break things down almost to a level that I think some teachers would find embarrassing that they're going through, you know, it's a calculus class, but their brain is still going over some of the basic mechanics of the algebra or even the pre-algebra. Um, and, and so I think students find that refreshing, that there's a teacher who's definitely not talking down to them, very conversational. They can tell that I'm not scripted, that I didn't prepare this ahead of time, that I'm thinking it through with them. And I think that's a, a subtle but super important thing. You'll see lectures and, uh, and, and talks and, and, and teachers who will, to kind of make sure that they're perfect, they will over-prepare or they'll script something, and they'll do that voiceover the way you described it. And what happens there is that the, I think humans are very tuned in to whether someone is thinking with them or whether something is just performing an act. And I think um, one of the keys is, is, is that the, 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 the learner needs to realize that you, know, you really are thinking it with them. And, and when you do think it through with them and you're not just memorizing a script or reading a script, it, it almost forces you to draw the conceptual or, or to, to, to vocalize the conceptual leaps from one, one concept to another as opposed to, to just assuming it. Sal, we opened up the interview to our fans on Facebook and took a question from one of them. Buffy Kutchman Pat is one of our listeners, and she asks, what efforts do you take to ensure that your pedagogy is consistent with what education research shows about how people learn, especially how people learn math and science? Um, you know, the reality is we, we, we're we going through, so on the first pass of the videos, there was very little effort. It really was just, you know, me, me doing my best shot and seeing what uh, maybe, you know, someone that, that, that I would have liked to have and that, you know, my cousins and that other people on YouTube seem to be benefiting from. Now we're, we, we are getting pretty deep on our own analytics on our website. In terms of the broader research, um, you, you know, I think there are people, they come up with rules of thumb based on some study or another. And I'm not saying the study's not valid, but I'm saying sometimes it, it's not necessarily, you, you can't come up with these rules the way, that, you know, that all teaching has to be done like this. I think, for example, those research, you know, there, there's, there's this one research study that's been going around that, you know, kind of saying that, uh, you know, it, it first kind of hints that maybe videos, people can't learn through videos, and that if you do make a video, you always have to address the misconception first. And if you don't address the misconception first, people are always going to conform what, what other, what, whatever you say into their pre-existing misconceptions. I don't think that research is wrong. I think that is often the case. I don't think it has to be religiously applied that you have to, because in some areas people might have not even thought about something. They might not have misconceptions. Or maybe, maybe you explain it once and you reemphasize that this, this goes against misconception A, B, C, or D. Uh, so, so I don't think there's, there's one formula there. And I think, I, think, uh, I think, frankly, the best way to do it is you put stuff out there and you see how, how people react to it. Both how do they react, you know, we have exercises on our, on our site too, so we see whether they're able to do it. But you also see how they react to it anecdotally you see the comments they put you they ask they'll ask questions based on you know, every time i put a youtube video up i, I look at the comments the, at least the first 20 30 40 video comments that go up and i can normally see a theme that look a lot of people kind of got the wrong idea here or uh, maybe some people did and then i'll usually make another video saying hey look after last year, I read some of the comments, and a lot of y'all were saying this. This is not what we're talking about. It's completely different. So then, maybe I am tackling the misconception. But I think if you, if you had a formula in place and you do that every time, I think, 
I think once again, the the learner will say, well, this this guy's not this guy's not thinking through it. He's not teaching us his 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 sensibilities, his thought process. He's just trying to meet some formula on on what what is apparently a good video practice. And I'll go the other way. You can you can you can hit you know you can cross dot all the i's and cross all the t's on some on some research based idea about how a video should be made. But if your voice is condescending, if you're not thinking things through, if it's a scripted lecture, I, I can guarantee you it's, it's, it's not going to appeal with students. And I think the other mistake that people, and you know, I, I, I'd like some research to be done with this, and it really goes against the grain of what most people assume is, you know, even what video is about, is all the feedback we've gotten is that the, 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 the not seeing the face is, is, is maybe the, one of the most compelling things about it, about hearing the voice, because a face is hugely distracting. And so, yeah, I mean, a I, I, I long, long answer to, to a short question. I think it's, it's nice to look at some of the research, but I don't think, I think we would, and I think in general people would be doing a disservice as if, if they trump what one research study does. And, you know, there's a million variables there. Who was the instructor? What were they teaching? What was the form factor? How did they use to produce it? it you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you just take some of the apparent conclusions from a research study and try to blanket them onto, onto what, what is really more of an art. Um, it, it's like it's like it's like saying that there's a research study on what makes a, a nice painting, and then always making your paintings according to that research study. That would, that would obviously be a mistake. Well, I think it's very clear from so much positive feedback that your teaching is very much an art form. Are you noticing that your model is being replicated or borrowed from, with so many schools trying to improve their distance learning and better the online learning experience? But you know, simple answer is yes, and, and you know I'll I'll say it's even more. I, you know I don't think it's even a, a distance learning thing. You know distance learning. It, the problem with distance learning, it, it, they're kind of just taking a, a physical experience and they're trying to make it so that it's still synchronous. People are still learning at the same time, but they're doing it over some type of, you know, interactive message board or whiteboard. And, but, but it's still kind of the same experience. What I think we're all about is not, you know, just distance learning. It's just rethinking the best way to even have a physical experience. And, you know, we've talked about it. It's like, you know, is, is it the best use of 300 people in a, in a lecture hall's time to be sitting for watching a lecture that's kind of a broadcast lecture that the, the teacher has given, you know, the last, the last 20 years? So um, the simple answer is, you know, I, I don't think it's exactly distance learning. I think it's relevant to even regular physical what happens on campuses. Uh, but, yes, we have started talking to uh, we've had a few conversations already with Stanford Medical School. We've even started making a few videos with them. And, and the idea here is, one, okay, let's rethink about what happens in the classroom, but also what is a good video? And I, I found that the, the most difficult thing is I, I'll meet some of these physicians, and when I talk to them over lunch about what they do, it's fascinating. And they'll take out a napkin, and they'll explain something, and they'll diagram it out, and I'm really engaged. And it's sometimes as soon as you make them – present what they or teach what or you know when, when they go into quote teaching mode they get their powerpoint lectures up they have no passion for it they go, they start speaking in a monotone and you're just like what happened to that person and it, it, it's I, I think the, the the most difficult thing in this is going to have people overcome that indoctrination that they've gotten to what is the tone of teaching what is the style of teaching what tools do you use for teaching so i think powerpoint is not the right thing to use you should be crawling things out on maybe some type of a interactive blackboard and talking from your actual thought, not based on talking to bullet points that you've already thought of. So the answer is yes, we are doing that, but we're still in the early stages of figuring out the best way to, to kind of scale things up and getting people into this mindset. Just in terms of taking a model and turning it upside down at your TED Talk, you spoke about flip-flopping the model of homework. 
how students at home, instead of doing traditional homework, will listen to one of your lectures. And when they get to school, they'll do their typical homework exercises. You've also been doing some of this with teachers out in Los Altos, charter school work. How is this all evolving, Sal? Yeah, and one thing I want to clarify is I did mention that we call it, you know, these, these teachers who are taking my videos and having students use it, do it at home and then, and then freeing up class time so that you could actually do problems. You know, we said, hey, they flipped the model and, and that's kind of caught on. Uh, and, and although people have been talking about that even even before I, I mentioned it at the TED Talk, we view that as an intermediary thing. We, we view that as, look, if you just have videos but you still want to go by a traditional lesson plan, this is something that you can do. What we're doing at Los Altos, and now Los Altos is district-wide, and now we're doing it with several other public-private charter schools around mainly the Bay Area but around the country, some of them in, in uh, underserved communities, some of them in middle-class communities, public-private, is we're saying, Let's use the videos and the software. And I want to make clear, most of the resources for the Khan Academy right now, most of our budget is spent on the software side so that students can get problems, work at their own pace, students get data on themselves, teachers get data on the students. So what we're saying is whether you're at home, on the train, or in the classroom, some of your time should just be working at your own pace, watching the videos at your own pace when you need them or working through exercises when you need them at your own pace. And then when you go to the classroom, that's when the teacher can be armed with data and say, okay, who's stuck on something? And we highlight the students that are stuck. And the teacher can go and then make an intervention. And then it frees up a lot of class time so they can do more project-based learning or more, more actually building things or experiments or things like that. And, you know, the, the simple answer is it's been working out really well. It, we, you know, we don't, once again, we don't think it's like an experiment, like we have the solution and let's just try it out with some double control study, double blind control study. What we're saying is, look, we're trying this in the schools. We want to learn from the teachers and the students how this can work. And so we're seeing different things in almost every classroom and every school, and we're trying to figure out what's the common themes. But, you know, anecdotally, as soon as we started, everyone was pumped and energized, the teachers, the students. Uh, but, but by the end of the year, the, the district at least wanted some measure to say, well, are we doing – is it as good as people feel it is? And so they gave an assessment, and it was especially powerful at the seventh grade level. And even though Los Altos is a, a broadly it's a high-performing, affluent school district, the seventh graders that we were piloted with, this was their algebra readiness group. These were mainly non-affluent students, many of them English as a second language. Some of them had learning disabilities. Uh, these, they were tracked in the slower math class. In this group, and this, this is what really got Los Altos excited about going district-wide on it, in this group, over the course of a year, you had you, you, we went from 20%, or not even a year, over the course of six months, we went 20% were at grade level, none were advanced, to 40, I think it was 41 or 42 percent at grade level, and now 6 percent were now advanced. They had actually leapfrogged ahead of kids who were not placed in the remedial class, which Los Altos had, had never seen before. And 6 percent of that class going in was very below basic, which was kind of like the lowest rating based on that exam, the California exam. And then at the end of the six months, none of them were. So you had this broad shift kind of to the to the, the, the right side of the distribution that they were really excited about. It was pretty, it, it was pretty dramatic changes. So now they're going district-wide with it. It seems like the success of Khan Academy is heavily influenced by you and your voice and the way you teach. As you expand and grow, will the voice of Khan Academy ever not include yours, Sal Khan? Um, it, it'll always hopefully in, in, include me. It won't be only me. Um, you know, one thing that I've talked about with the power of the videos is, and this is where it's different than distance learning. A professor in a traditional distance learning class won't be able to teach that class if, you know, you know, if, if, if heaven forbid something happens to the professor. But, but the value of this is because it is asynchronous, the videos can, can keep teaching. And so I, I hope, um, you know, this is one of the reasons why I'm really excited about doing this, that in 50 years my great-grandchildren could maybe still learn a video or two from me. But I suspect there will be others uh, 
either in the world or as part of Khan Academy that will also be making videos, maybe even in some of the same topics that I've already done a first pass on. Uh, but but I, I do hope that, that that voice is there somehow, either directly in terms of the videos and, and hopefully indirectly in terms of the DNA of the organization and always be willing to kind of re- rethink what it means to learn. Sal, over 2,400 lessons you've done now. Do you have a favorite one? Do <laughs> I have a favorite one? Well, it's 2,800 plus now. Um, you know, I, I think, you, you know, there's, I, there's favorite ones that I like to show people. Um, I, I like I like to show um uh you, you know there, there's that I, I, I you know there's I, there, there's a lot of them that I'm excited about for different reasons there's a few proofs there the proof the 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 proof of Euler's identity and calculus using using the Taylor series approximation that's just a really exp- uh, exciting thing that that gives you goose pimples there's the um there's a video that I did with Vi Hart, who's a, a, a known entity on, on YouTube, who's, where we talked about how humans per, perceive things on kind of a logarithmic scale. Uh, there's a whole set of videos on economics and finance that I think are interesting because I start going into some of the nuances of, of, of how players act in financial markets. And so it, it's, it's, it's cool for kids because it's like money and their understanding about society, but they also start to understand kind of deeper underpinnings of, of, of dynamics um, you know, some of the history videos, I'm pretty excited. I've done some computer science videos where I'm coding in real time, and, and those are fun because you, you can kind of see that thought process. So, yeah, I, I guess I don't have a single favorite video. Sal, you've been interviewed many, many times. What is it that journalists are not asking you about Khan Academy? What is it that we're all missing that really should be part of the larger discussion about your work in education? Um, I, I've been asked this, but I feel like it, it keeps getting portrayed in the wrong way, is, is that we really are... The flip of the classroom really is an intermediary thing. It's just kind of a nice to have. What we think is the real power of Khan Academy is where every student works at their own pace. And just having a traditional curriculum where, you know, on week three we all cover negative numbers and you just happen to be watching the lecture at home, that's not what we're about. That's a nice thing that you could use us for. But we're about a reality where every student is working at their own pace, every student is mastering concepts before they move on, and every student has access to access to build on those core learnings where they can where they can go deeper where they can start to compose things build things uh, do simulations and so our our goal is not to say hey we, we think YouTube videos are cool everyone must use YouTube videos our goal is how do we make the learning experience as rich as possible as self-paced as possible as mastery based as possible and how do we make when people are together in a classroom how do we make that as interactive as possible and that tells us what we should be doing. So maybe some of that answer is you have to use more cardboard or you have to use something that does not involve it. That's what we're about. We're not about technology is cool, therefore you have to use it. We're saying, what is your problem? What are the goals we're trying to achieve? We think right now some of what we do is a good first pass set of tools for, for achieving some of those things, so on-demand video and, and self-paced software. The other thing that I think is sometimes the press doesn't get this wrong necessarily, but I think some people read this, I think wrongly read into this, into the press, is that we're somehow about um, kind of, uh, lack of a better word, replacing teachers or replacing educators, something like that. And, and what we're saying is we're the exact opposite. We think what we're doing is we're taking teachers up the value chain. We're taking them from a reality where oftentimes they're giving lectures year after year, the same lecture, going at the same pace. So now they are, they're, they're kind of liberated to, one, do other things with class time, and they're now mentoring their students more. They're now sometimes training some of their students to be better teachers. One of the fifth graders, uh, Richard, one of the Richard, fifth grade teachers, Richard Julian, he's spending a significant amount of his time, or at least he did last year when he was teaching fifth grade, mentoring five of the students in his class who just 
surfaced as his TAs. These are the students that other students respected. They had subject matter expertise. And, and, and he also spent a significant amount of time ramping one student up who was way behind. And none of these things could have happened in a traditional model. And they're doing more creative things in the classroom. And the, you know, the, the kind of the, the standardized test scores are doing really well. So, so from our point of view, we're taking teachers up the value chain. We're not in any way trying, trying to replace them. Now, Sal, on a personal level, your voice is becoming recognizable across the world, but not your face, as it's not part of the videos. Is this lack of FaceTime keeping you off the paparazzi list, Sal? And is it also keeping you a more low-key celebrity? Is it? Um, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have any control to understand what a normal celebrity feels like. Um, but I, I have every now and then been recognized from behind based on just my voice, uh, which is a little strange and I guess uh, good. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know whether it's, 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 it's the, the diminished. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange to even think that there's the word celebrity status and, and math videos are, are now maybe being used in the same sentence. But yes, it is what it is. <laughs> I guess we'll have to wait for Aaron Sorkin to write a second movie about another Harvard grad who sets off to start another popular website. <laughs> Hopefully this one will be more flattering. To our listeners, if you want more of Sal Khan, either re-listen to our podcast or feel free to hear his voice and learn a thing or two at khanacademy.org. Sal Khan? It was a pleasure. Thanks for all that you do. Great, great. Thanks a bunch. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.